0: Hello podcast listener, the app guy podcast, every Sunday and Thursdays, straight from your host, Paul, the app guy, sharing his app entrepreneur journey with you for your enjoyment. The App Guy Podcast. And now, Paul, the App Guy.
1: Welcome to another episode of the App Guy Podcast. Uh, I am your host. I'm Paul Kemp, and I wanted to take you on a journey with various entrepreneurs and uh, people involved in software, uh, apps, and just bring you bring to life a lot of these journeys. Share the same sort of journeys that you may be going on right now, as uh, you're struggling through uh, getting apps, getting apps into the App Store, and doing all the various work that you may be doing on uh, apps. So this is the App Guy podcast, but we do um, interview a lot of different people. I've had some terrific conversations recently uh, with people that uh, have great businesses. They're not, not purely focused on apps, but are more broader and. Um, it's with that that I uh, listened recently to uh, an interview on Entrepreneur on Fire um, with uh, Jesse Meekum. and I, I just thought, I've got to get this guy on, on our podcast. Um, Jesse's a, a fantastic speaker. He's a writer. He's a podcaster himself, actually. You, you want to check out his podcast on iTunes. Uh, it's uh, You Need a Budget, uh, if you search for that on iTunes, um, I'll put a link to all this stuff on the show notes as well uh, so that you can get a uh, hold of Jesse. Um, So Jesse Meekham is uh, the founder of youneedabudget.com, and this is a terrific website. It really does teach people how to break out that uh, paycheck-to-paycheck cycle and get out of debt and save money, which I'm sure appeals to a lot of us uh, out there. Um, Jesse is responsible for a, a fantastic team of 26 people all over the world. I know that you can spend um, some time talking us uh, through you, you know your business and your growth, Jesse. So look, thank you very much for coming on the App Guy podcast. I'm thrilled that you could spend the time, and you're going to share uh, some of your wisdom uh, with regards to um, your business and your journey. So thanks, Jesse. Um, perhaps you can tell us a little bit about yourself and do a better job than I've just done, and yes. uh, uh, you could um, tell us about you know your, your, your business.
0: Yeah, you bet. Thanks for having me on. I, I really appreciate it. I uh, I started this business without the idea of starting a business. I just wanted to make some side money is what I was telling my wife. And I was in college and uh, had three years left of school. And my wife was expecting our first child. And um, after crunching a lot of numbers, I realized that I wouldn't be able to make it through school and avoid debt, which I wanted. I really wanted to avoid that. Uh, but I wouldn't be able to make it without taking that on. So. My bright idea was well I can I can sell this budget that I've created for me and my wife and make enough money to pay rent and if I could pay rent that would have that would have floated us through. So that was my grand vision just just making rent and from there it just kind of has grown.
1: It's funny Jesse because I think there's a lot of people listening to this who maybe you know hear a lot of stories about how people are following their passion, how they fall into something that's absolutely perfect for them. And yet, in truth, I do think that a lot of entrepreneurs, app developers uh, do uh, actually go in for the pure reason that they need to make you know pay rent and, and have somewhere to live so t- tell us a bit more about that you know how you you know how you first stumbled across this fantastic idea of um, you need a budget dot com
0: yeah, I just uh, I mean I'd created it for myself we were we were pretty broke and, uh, just newlywed. And, um, we had lots of schooling left and my wife got a degree in social work, which doesn't pay well. Um, so even though she wrapped up her schooling pretty quick after we were married, um, you know, her full-time job, I think she was making 11 bucks an hour and we were actually pretty thrilled at that rate. So, uh, we were pretty, pretty broke and I had a lot of schooling left in, in my accounting curriculum. So the the being broke part of things is what pushed me to create a budget that she and I could work with, and uh, we worked with it for about a year, and and then then I realized well maybe I could sell this. It, it's really worked well for us for this last year, and then that's where I kind of stumbled on to this method that I say stumbled because I didn't I didn't start out by saying I'm going to create this four rule method for managing your money. I just it kind of evolved until I realized, oh, I think I have something here.
1: You know, your journey is, I'm sure, very similar to a lot of successful app developers where you take a real world problem, you know, something that you're actually going through yourself. You know, it was, I guess, quite a negative type of time, you know, struggling for for money and you were broken and stuff like that, but you flipped it into such a positive and I'm sure that's going to inspire people out there. that are looking for ideas. And it may be an idea sort of that's right in front of you and from your life experience. Yeah. And tell us a bit more about that, you know? How do-
0: I mean, I think solving your own problem is a great idea. In software, it's a great idea. And I think uh, if you start from there, you'll, you'll be on target more often than not. Um, you got to make sure that you're solving a problem that other people have. But if you're doing that, I think you're, you'll be, I don't know, I think you'll be casting a wider net uh, so that you can you can latch onto something that will work. Um, solving your own problem also really is satisfying. Uh, in the creation process, you get mileage out of it quicker. You usually will iterate on it faster and more effectively because you're using it and and living it. So, uh, for those reasons, I think it's a great way. It's not the only way, but I think it's a great way to to start out developing your own app. And
1: how in, uh, was it at that period of your time when you stumbled across this idea and you? were uh, getting it set up and you know how easy was it to be somewhat distracted with you know i mean people wanting to make money seem to go online and they type in i want to make money online and then uh, this flood of uh, crazy ideas that are uh, you know 90 percent pretty much scam and how how you know when you are struggling to um i guess pay rent and stuff like that how how difficult is it to stay away from the um, uh, are the attractions of trying to have a shortcut and you know just going for some quick and easy make money online scheme.
0: Yeah, you. Uh, I mean, I never, I never really dove in saying I need to make money, so I'll look for ways to make money. I it was more I need to make some money. What can I do? I could sell this this budget uh, that I've created, and then I immediately went and started finding out how I could build a website. I had no idea how to do that or, you know, how to market. I had no idea how to do that. And SEO back then was a bigger deal and um, easier as well as was pay-per-click back in the day. And so I had to learn a little bit about that to get some traction. Um, But you, you don't want to take any shortcuts, but you do want to launch quickly um, you know, ship quickly with something that is viable um, something where you can ask people to pay you as soon as possible. So um, no shortcuts, but find the shortest distance that you can that that's genuine and then run with it.
1: Yeah, and it does sound like um, the route that you took, you, you were taking perhaps some guidance there from people that you may have read, uh, uh, Seth Godin. I think he talks about ship quickly and ship often.
0: Um, I don't know if you came across his his book. I hadn't actually at at the time. You know, the nice thing about, um, I I mean, I started this back in 2004. I didn't know about a lot of the resources that are available now. I didn't, I don't think Quora was there. I don't think there was a Hacker News. Um, I don't think there was like a Mixer G or anything where you you see a lot of entrepreneurs kind of uh, telling you their story just like I am now and filling you full of a lot of information that you then need to digest and act on. Um, luckily for me, I didn't have a lot of that available or didn't know to look. And so I just made lots and lots of mistakes, but I kept moving. And I mean, my, my first product that I asked people to pay me for was a spreadsheet. It wasn't, it wasn't software the way any of, any of these listeners that develop apps, I mean, they could, they could develop something much nicer than I originally shipped with. Um, but you've, I found something that I said, hey, I can ask someone to pay me for this. And so I put that out there only later, once I had kind of proven that method that I teach, proven that there was some traction to the idea that I you know, started finding developers and having them build an actual you know, piece of software. Uh, and things got a lot better from that. Um, the spreadsheet was inferior in so many ways, but it was superior in my ability to launch quickly and ask people for money as quickly as possible. Yeah, it was all in the the
1: idea. And you know, let's let's explore that um, that sort of thing you mentioned there about you. You had to learn how to do a lot of this stuff. You you know, you didn't have all the the the, um, the tools available and the knowledge to actually uh, run the business. But you went out and learned. And and that is a little bit um, I guess topical at this moment. You know, with the sale of WhatsApp to Facebook. And there's some of the engineers there, you know, I think one of the guys involved did not know how to code, and he went out and got a book from a library and just taught himself. Mm-hmm. And uh, I love that story. So, you know, how did you find? You know, how did you go about um, teaching yourself all this stuff, um, building websites, and what resources did you tend to go and use?
0: I mean, I couldn't even tell you what. I mean, it was a lot of Google. You know, you just use Google like crazy, and and. Uh, you make tons and tons of mistakes, and if anyone wants a really good laugh, they can use the Wayback, you know, the archives.org site, Wayback Machine, and, and uh, look up youneedabudget.com and then see the original stuff I launched with. The copy was horrible. The design was just atrocious. Um, everything about it was wrong, except for the fact that I put it out there and asked people to pay uh, to prove it, and that, that was the only good thing I did. As I look back now, you know, I wince and say, oh, man, how could I have done this and that? And the copy was off. But that's all part of the process. And to be honest, that's that's an enjoyable part of the process is where, you know, you start from scratch. You start with a blank slate, which is you and you learn and you pick up new skills. You know, now I'm learning a lot more and just bumbling and falling all over myself as far as management goes, communication, things with the team. That's all brand new, I've never done any of that before. But you just, you know, you learn as you go and you kind of be patient with yourself and you ask everyone to be patient with you and if you have a good team, they are and everything works out.
1: Now, as app developers, we all have to work with people in remote locations. I mean, uh, the, the skills that we seek, like yourself, are spread all over the world. What's it like now migrating into um, this remote work? The, um, and you have a remote team. I'm assuming that all your team are spread across the globe.
0: Yeah, yeah, they are. We we go. We've got Australia and Switzerland and Scotland and uh, Italy, and then we move over to the states and have have people here as well. And um, our tester lives in Costa Rica some of the time, and I think now she's in California. So we're we are everywhere. But um, we, I didn't start out saying I think I'm going to build a remote team because. I read a book about how great that is. Um, I started out working remote because the first developer I hired, there was no way that he was going to move and it was only a side gig for him anyway. So he stayed where he was in Texas and I stayed where I was in Utah and we worked like that and shipped the products, never met each other face to face until after we had launched. Um, And he's still with me today, and uh, he's he's a fantastic asset in every way. And he's still remote. But we saw that that worked, and so we just kept on going with that. And now remote's kind of fancy and kind of the new thing, but I've always seen it as kind of an obvious win, as long as you can manage your communication appropriately.
1: And and how do you go about sourcing uh, your developers? Uh, Do you tend to go to their GitHub? Uh, Do you look through portfolios of different uh, software and, and, and yeah tell us about that process of you know we usually
0: um I mean it, the last last developer that we hired was a, a front-end web app developer and he uh, it took us about six months to find him and um, we hired someone else on a test basis for a month that one didn't pan out we were pretty bummed uh and then we were patient and then we hired we you know we got Kyle, we hired him and he's been great. But it was a six-month deal and we post on a few job boards. We send out a newsletter to our our uh you know YNAB, we call YNAB, you know, you need a budget, just YNAB for short. We send it out to our YNAB users and said, Hey, we're looking for a developer. Um, I'm not sure where Kyle specifically heard about it, but that's usually been our our MO is that we post it on the blog. We we send out a newsletter, we we hire from people that usually like our software, but we don't make that a specific criteria. And then we interview them like crazy. We have a really well-developed cultural questionnaire to make sure they fit the team. Uh, we make sure we meet them face-to-face before we hire them. Uh, it's, it's a long process, but uh, you, can't, you just can't take a shortcut when it comes to finding the right person to do, do work for you.
1: Yeah, you've just made me realise that, of course, you've got a community uh, that is uh, in love with you in a way because they're using your product, and uh, what a great way of uh, actually going out to that community and saying, look, hey, we're hiring. Uh, it sort of reminds me a little bit of the guys at Basecamp as well, thirty-seven signals. Uh, I don't know if mm-hmm. you come across them, but um, they seem to follow the same sort of thing. But uh, this is so what. A guidance I mean given that there's app developers listening to this um, maybe they're working as indie app developers uh, freelancing contracting uh, what what guidance could you give as someone who is you know hiring uh, any any suggestions to help them improve their chances given that you've you know you've got you're going through such a rigorous um, recruitment process
0: yeah we we look a lot at uh, I mean we do standard questions, you know, standard test questions, just that's just to kind of weed out uh, the first pass. And uh, we look to make sure that they, they sound like they're on the team. So um, how they present themselves. I rarely read a resume, but I read the cover letter. Absolutely. I don't read all of the cover letter sometimes if the person is boring. So um, they got to kind of catch my interest. It sounds ruthless in a way and so you hate to say it like that but if you receive 230 cover letters uh you you start to just really quickly uh eliminate those that you don't find interesting and so if you can make if you can make something pop that's interesting from the get-go you're you got a better chance of being read and then obviously your code needs to be up to snuff but that you know that goes without saying so um it's it's big on on uh for me, on finding the person interesting, seeing that they have interests outside of just code, 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 um, what they like to learn, if they if they enjoy that process, things like that. Those are things that we look for specifically for our culture. So if you were being hired somewhere else, it may be different. You'd have to kind of think, okay, what kind of culture am I trying to get into, and how will I resonate with that? So that's uh, would take a little bit of analysis on your part.
1: Yeah, I mean, it just. I think it's interesting because your uh, culture sounds like it's uh, similar to what a startup would be, but you're obviously not a startup. You've been going since 2004, but you know as you were growing, I mean, in the, the uh, app developers that listen to this are growing their businesses as well. And how did you know that it was important to grow the team? Because it must have been a bit of a hard break, you know, going um, with either yourself or the two or three people that were were yeah. doing this to to then suddenly. Think, you know, we need some extra people. I mean, how did you know that was a pain point in your business I and mean, you needed to grow the team?
0: It's pretty, it's usually pretty obvious. You're, you kind of end up like throwing your hands in the air and just saying, I can't do X, you know, I can't do support any longer. Um, so I need to have, have some help or I can't um, teach uh, webinars. So I need some help. Like there are things that people came on just part time for me and said, hey, I'll, I'll answer emails for you. I'll help you with support. Another, our lead teacher, Aaron, she came and said, hey, I can teach webinars to really teach this method to people, uh, so let me do that, and, and that worked out really well. Obviously, development I couldn't do anyway, so that was always someone I looked to, but you just uh, recognize that things aren't getting done, and there's no way that it's going to happen, and then you need more manpower. So I think knowing when to hire is usually pretty obvious. Um, doing the actual hire is hard because you have to be you you feel the pain so you get excited and say yes I'm going to hire somebody like finally this this pain will be relieved and it'll free me up and then you have a long process to find the right person and that's where people usually slip up they know they need to hire and then they they try and hire so quickly because that pain is at a high point and it ends up, you know, they, they hire wrong because they hired too fast.
1: Yeah, I, I I know exactly what you're saying there because I was that person. You know, I did actually yeah. hire um, for an, another company that I was involved with. And, um, you know, the, one of the reasons why I'm trying to be a solopreneur, I guess they call them, uh, is that, you know, I, I hired and hired badly and had some really bad experiences. I found myself, you know, dealing with people and, and spending more time worrying about, Um, their their own personal issues and actually getting any work done so (laughs) right right uh, I've been put off of that but I I guess that you you're um, in summary saying that you've got to uh, take your time in the hiring process get the right people make it thorough make it sure that it's a cultural fit and you've obviously been successful in doing that
0: that's it's the most important thing we do right right now I've I realized I was at business of software, I think two years ago, and there was a talk about culture and I thought culture, like what, you know, who, who thinks about culture? But you recognize that if you don't address it specifically, then it will become whatever it becomes on its own. And so we decided to address it kind of head on and said, okay, what is our culture? And, uh, once we defined it, it seems really like, I don't know, Harvard business school ish, like not applicable, But it really is you define your culture. And if you're just a solo app developer and then you're saying, hey, maybe I need someone to run support for me or I need someone to do some marketing or maybe I need someone to help me with the development. Any of that, you say, okay, well, what's my culture, which is really just your personality? And kind of trying to find it and then write questions that will draw that out of people and see if they mesh just with you. And if that's the case, then you've probably got a good hire. Our, my first hire, Taylor, who's, who's our CTO, um, I just got lucky that he and I hit it off because my hiring process was so... There was no process. It was just, <laughs> you know, just there. He's just like, okay, yeah, you can do this thing for me. And um, now, luckily, we, we do gel, you know, and, and we would be great friends if we weren't uh, doing the business together. And that's a good sign, um, that you're yeah that you're meshing well and can work well together
1: yeah because i do believe that when we speak to people like yourself that it is something more than uh, money involved here you know there's a purpose in with what you're doing um given that you've been with um, your idea now since 2004 and it's working out you know over the last 10 years to be such a great idea uh, i guess it's your baby and, and yeah i wondered how many people coming into the organization could have the love and attention that you know you've given this this um, company over the, over the last ten years, but but clearly you can do that if you have a thorough um, hiring process.
0: Yeah, yeah, they're out there. Just be patient. Be very, very patient. Uh,
1: and also, I mean, is it uh, worth um, uh, either trying to raise uh, startup money or capital or going to the bank to you know for the hiring process, or do you tend to? Um, I'm just thinking of your own experience. Is it best to just take the money out of the profits from the company and use that for for uh, actually growing?
0: Oh yeah, this is. I mean, this is a pretty big topic because you're talking about bootstrapping versus uh, getting outside funding. A, a personal loan is still a, is still bootstrapping, but I'm I'm very risk averse, so the idea of borrowing uh, doesn't doesn't sit well with me personally. So uh, we always I just have bootstrapped from the get go, and I run my small business Wineab uh, on wineab the software, where I, I do all the four rules that we have. I give every dollar a job, I, I save up. So if I know I need to buy a, or you know, hire a developer, then I'm, I'll be putting money in that, that developer category, saving up and making sure I have the money there. So I've always chosen slow and mine over fast and someone else's. And uh, it's just, that's just totally a personal call uh, that, that you make, but i i don 't want to have a boss, and so i the idea of, of vC funding, despite all of their all of their emails that they send me, the idea of that just doesn 't sit well with me right now so
1: no, it 's a very useful lesson for all of us. I mean I uh, made some mistakes as well as uh, you know, I was uh, taking out loans and growing my previous uh, one of my previous businesses a few years ago, and you know, i wish i 'd have uh, I wish I'd have followed your principle because um, it's quite easy to take on debt. Um, people do want to give you money, and it's it's very it's difficult to you know refuse. Why should it come out of my bank if it, if I can get it from someone else? And mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, it's a good lesson to us all that you know you effectively by taking on extra outside funding, you are taking on um, another boss in a way, and uh, uh, you probably would lose some. Um, you know, something in, in, in that. So that's some
0: autonomy there, some sleep maybe as well. (laughs) One, one debt that you don't, and this is just for any app developer, but a lot of people that are solopreneurs that run their own deal, you got to make sure that you don't incur debt through your tax system, you know, wherever you live. Um, I know most of the time when people run solo shops, they deal with taxes and it's a bit more of a mess than they would deal with if they were an employee. So, um, as a business owner, you've just got to recognize that taxes are a big expense and you got to stay ahead of the curve on that. It's a shame when taxes end up really strapping a business on the cash flow side, because at least here in the U S you can't, you can't bankrupt yourself out of taxes. You know, you, you can get on payment plans, but I'll tell you, you owe them until it is paid. And, um, it's just not a, that would not be a fun place for a business owner. So I just encourage from the, this is the financial guy talking now, encourage these, you know, app developers and guys that run solo shops, just stay ahead of that. Don't, don't, uh, you know, set aside a little bit for your taxes and just stay on top of it so it doesn't become this, this monster that keeps you up at night. Yeah.
1: I mean, uh, it's actually a useful topic, um, you know, I think relevant in that, uh, where we are would depend on the tax that we pay. and the, um, In the UK, for example, um, it, it is quite common that entrepreneurs do uh, end up closing their businesses and all the uh, tax and all the, um, uh, the obligations that they have taken on is part of that company and then it's ultimately taken over by an, an administrator. And unless they've signed uh, um, some form of um, uh, personal credit, then then it does close with the business, and these those people move on and then they set up you know a few days later and and it is a way of getting around uh, the rules and and uh, I'm just kind of now thinking about um your world and and how global it is and and do you have any views on um, the best places to live with regards to running a budget and, and getting out of this debt wow. debt? Because uh, I'm nice. calling you from Dubai and it's obviously tax free, but it's quite expensive to live. Do you, do you have any views on where the best place is to live?
0: Yeah, you know, I've never been to Dubai. My brother, both of my brothers are in the Air Force and they've passed through there and they uh, they spoke highly of it. They thought it was a pretty neat place. But um, I've got a developer that lives in Italy right now, splits his time because his fiance is there in school and they love Italy, but that's, you know, anywhere in Europe has, well, not anywhere, but. Uh, it It seems pretty expensive. I spent some time in Germany. that seemed kind of expensive. Um, you could go well, there was one guy that I heard about that goes on cruises and just uses wi fi very sparingly, but he finds dirt cheap cruises and develops and does all of his coding on the cruise ship and just commits code you know uses wi fi commits code and then goes off again and so you could go completely uh nomadic and <laughs> cruise ships all over so and then i don't even know how the tax situation works there because maybe you're in international waters for 300 days of the year but that would be interesting so i i personally like uh, like where we are uh, Utah's a family-friendly place and i've got five kids so i like that and the tax system's fairly fairly simple um food's fairly cheap housing's reasonable and if you avoid the coasts you usually avoid a lot, of, <laughs> a lot of the high costs. So we're in a small town and it works out well for us. But uh, the nice thing about being remote is also its curse. And that's where you're, you, you're never tied to a place. So you always have the question you ask me, like, where should I live? So it's, it's a little bit of a curse. We, we ask ourselves that fairly often. Hey, where could we go? You know. So well, where, I don't know. Try yeah. lots of places. There's probably no right answer. Just... Just kind of bounce around a little bit.
1: Yeah, we're we're, my wife and I are in that situation where um, uh, we have either to stay in Dubai and pay ten thousand pounds, uh, say fifteen, eighteen thousand dollars of school fees per year for our kids, or we go back to the UK and get it for free. You know, part of the Mm -hmm. tax system. So. uh, I need a budget.com is definitely on my radar. Um,
0: yeah, I might own I need a budget.com. I might redirect to you need a So we'll see. But yeah, that would be uh, everybody needs it. And especially these guys that are trying to roll their own business. You got to be even more on guard as far as cash flow goes. So. Yeah. Uh, and that.
1: also, um, given that we're uh, on the app Guy podcast, um, it would be pretty wise to talk about how apps are reducing our expenses, you know, the share economy is out there. I heard uh, that you have the ability to, um, you know, uh, rent a parking space uh, using an app. You can rent a car using and uh, You can rent someone's car using an app. You know, you can actually use Airbnb mm-hmm. when you're traveling around. How have you seen in the last ten years change with apps that now help us reduce our costs because of the share economy?
0: You know, one thing that. Um I mean, from our business specifically, that I've obviously know that the best. Uh, the ability for people to stay on top of of context sensitive information is very interesting. So there was a lot of the location stuff back in the day, like here I am in this location. So what should I know about it, and checking in and all of that. I never really caught on to that, um, but having information presented to you in context is really powerful uh, the example from our own business where we see people's behavior changing and, and saving money as a result is when they go to let's say a grocery store maybe it's called sam's they go to sam's grocery store they've been there before and they go to check their budget and it says right there here's how much you have left in your grocery category that int- that information isn't very relevant to them when they're sitting at, at work Uh, Shooting off emails, but suddenly when they're in the grocery store making spending decisions, that information is extremely relevant and that's what gets me excited because then they check their budget, they see, hey, I've got only X left or whatever, so I maybe need to put something back or hey, I have a little more, maybe I can, I don't know, grab something fun, but either way, they're presented with information that's relevant at the moment that helps them behave in a way that might otherwise have been lost. So that has me excited. There are other things like, you know, you're checking for gas prices in the nearest place or a lot of health-related things like, hey, you've been sitting for an hour, maybe you should stand up. That kind of stuff where it's, it's kind of timely uh, and promotes uh, tiny behavior changes that can really add up. I get excited about that type of thing.
1: So I have to ask this for most of my guests, if I remember, what phone do you carry around with you?
0: I uh, had an iPhone 5 and then I got rid of it completely and bought like a brick phone because I was, I was tired of how laced I was to work and everything. And then my wife made me get another iPhone so she <laughs> couldn't stand that it was, I was so disconnected. So I, I'm, I bought an iPhone, whatever the, what's this latest the 5S, one? The 5S, the one yeah, with the, the fingerprint, 5S. yeah. Yeah, I bought that and the fingerprint thing is actually pretty cool, you know, you laugh But I'm like, well, this is faster than doing a passcode. And my kids would see me put in my passcode and then say, oh, yeah, dad's is one, two, three, zero or whatever, you know. And uh, they would then be able to jump on. But now I just put my thumb on there and they're left wondering. So that alone was worth the price of admission. But uh, I don't know, everyone's mileage may vary. That, that, so.
1: You are the first person who I've to- talked to who's actually given up an iPhone and then gone back to it. What was that, those few months like without being connected as much as you are with your phone?
0: You know, I really liked it. Um, I I used a company, the uh, mobile provider that I really like called Ting. Uh, and they're they're just kind of on top of the Sprint network over here. And they were super cheap. You just pay for what you use. So my phone bill was like, 15 bucks a month and i thought well i can get used to this um i i liked it quite a bit the only downside was because you only pay for minutes you'd actually use i wouldn't call people like i'd be driving and think i should call my dad see how he's doing and then i think oh i don't want to use those minutes (laughs) even though you're talking about like you know 10 cents i mean good grief but i found myself doing that and i thought well that's probably not the best you know i i Rather maintain relationships over, you know, saving a few bucks, and then, you know, the the pressure from the wife is obviously universally paramount. So, I I, I caved quickly and and easily i'm sure your kids were like
1: hey come on get another phone dad
0: (laughs) yeah exactly i mean they they're old enough or they're still so young that there's i'm not even entertaining the idea of them having one but uh you know time will tell so we'll see how that goes i
1: really do wish ting.com would come out of the u.s and and spread but uh, i would love (laughs) to use that yeah yeah. Uh, and, and finally, what, what is on your new iPhone S? What's on the home screen? What are your favorite apps that you tend to use?
0: Uh, let's see here, let me pull it up here. I'll just place my thumb here oh so gently and have the fingerprint read. This is ironic because it made me try again twice so my thumbprint wasn't quite accurate. Um, I've got my phone, messages, calendar, and things. Things is my to-do app um, that most, a lot of people probably heard of. I'm a big getting things done Aficionado, so I, I stick tightly to that.
1: I, sorry, uh, I haven't heard that one. Things—that's so a- things.
0: Yeah, it's if you've heard of GTD or getting things done as kind of a project or, or like task management system, um, something worth looking up. It's a, the book's a little older now. Um, you know, there weren't phones back when the guy—not phones like this—back when the guy wrote it. Um, but I use things just a little. I mean, you could use any to do gosh, is there, I mean, there's like probably 4,000 to-do lists, Yeah. but uh, I run my life on my to-do list. So I've got that there. I've got YNAB there, photos. I keep it pretty minimal. I've got four folders. I don't use any other screens. Um, So I just got everything on one screen and uh, pretty plain vanilla. I I don't have tons of apps. I'm not, I'm not really uh, big on I mean, I've seen people that swipe through like 10 screens. I, I could never do that. They have to use their search feature to find the app. Yeah. <laughs> that, that is not. So, sorry, uh, hands um, up.
1: I am one of those I guys. Sorry. I've got thousands of apps. <laughs> um, now, be, would, before we just draw this to a close, you did mention your own app, uh, the uh, You Need a Budget App, YNAB app, and people can find that in the Google Play Store and the app. Apple Store. Tell us about your Apple experience developing that app. How long did it take you and how did you go about um, you know, getting that app
0: uh, approved? We launched it, uh, oh man, I want to say four years ago. I might be off. It could be more, but uh, I can't even remember now. It all kind of bleeds together. But we uh, we launched and true to form, we did something that was very Minimal and just said, okay, on the go, people need to check their category balances and add transactions. No other functionality. We've introduced very little functionality to it since then. We've polished it up. It looks great on iOS 7. That was a big change for us. Biggest mistake, well, I should say this. we launched originally with it priced at 10 bucks, which is, you know, astronomically high uh, compared to most things on the App Store. But this was also years ago now, you see a lot more monetization through in-app stuff. But we didn't do that. We we launched it at 10 bucks. Apple caught us on their big radar. I always imagine there's like some command and control center. Cause we had a list of people waiting for the app, you know, from our desktop users. So we sent out an email, we said, hey, it's ready. And people started buying it for 10 bucks. And I don't know how many we sold. But then Apple was like, wait, there's a $10 app and it's actually moving on the store. They contacted us, they featured us in the new and noteworthy section. For a week, and then in the "What's Hot" section for a week, we beat out some Bruce Lee game, which I'm still kind of proud of. <laughs> and um, yeah, we sold hundreds uh, per day for a while, and then once the feature dropped from Apple, things went back to just our own, you know, our own marketing because we obviously have marketing outside of the App Store. So we don't really apply it to a lot of app developers that are looking for their marketing to be from the App Store to their app. We We drive people to the app from from external marketing and uh, that changes things significantly. Uh, Biggest mistake we ever made was promising people the iPhone app on a firm date and then having the review process take twice as long as it had ever taken before. And we were just left telling people, we're sorry, we're sorry, we're sorry. Apple hasn't approved it. Apple hasn't approved it. It was a nightmare. So our new rule, you, we don't say anything about a firm date on a launch until Apple has approved it and we just have to click the big the big button. So that was a nightmare. Yeah, the dreaded Never. Apple review process that we all love and yeah, hate. I mean, it wasn't really anything you know, that was Apple's fault per se. I mean, everyone can always say, oh, they did this or that and you know, you get a different reviewer and you're like, wait, what the heck? This is totally inconsistent. That's all fine. We just shouldn't have promised anything until we actually had control over that date, and we didn 't have control over the date until it was approved, so it was it was our mistake, and man, did we we paid for it? I mean, we were just apologizing out the wazoo for a week, so <laughs> so that wasn 't so you did mention there, and
1: i 'd love to pick you up on this because you got onto the um, most noteworthy list on Apple. Um, for, what, a week or not even, did you say a week or a, a few days? It was a week. A yeah, week. It was an
0: entire week. We were number one on that, new and noteworthy.
1: And, and within that, it literally drove a huge, I mean, how many did you say roughly? It was.
0: A- I think it was, I mean, I think it was hundreds per day. The, the irony is this, is, this is interesting, you have to use our desktop software for the phone app to even be functional. It's just a companion app. It doesn't stand alone on its own. So we had people buying, you know, maybe they bought, there were 500 sales at this 10 bucks a pop and we're thinking, well, this is pretty fantastic. And then we would go and see the desktop sales side and not see a, a, you know, bump of equal proportion and see like, Hey, our desktop sales jumped up by 500 as well from these, all these new and noteworthy people that came in off of that push. So what we learned was that Apple has people primed and ready to buy and they're buying a ten dollar app and then realizing after the fact oh wait i needed the desktop software that cost sixty dollars never mind they would write you know a few people would write us and say hey could i have a refund we would you know we'd send them paypal or whatever you can't actually refund them an app you know with the apple store unfortunately but we we we'd refund them that was totally fine but that happened very little in comparison to all the people that totally just impulse purchased it, and that surprised me because I thought ten bucks certainly that wouldn't be an impulse, and we were wrong. It was it was a big impulse, so kind of an interesting little economy there. Yeah, no, it's really it.
1: interesting because I mean all of us are trying to get uh, you know on their radar, and you know what you've just mentioned is that it's so important to get um, in that new and noteworthy section, or you know on their homepage or their featured page, anywhere where uh, because the the search functionality for apps is, is pretty poor. It's hard to get discovered, you know, when you're in the, the trenches. And it's only it when you, you you know you've just reinforced the fact that you know, all those hundreds of people per day were impulse purchasing a ten dollar app. You know, had it been it's free, crazy. it would have been, you know, it could have been astronomical. And uh, yeah, it just shows that yeah, that people are really just going to the featured page and and using that for their app are. discovery.
0: Mm-hmm. As as time goes on, you're you're finding, and this the this, this same thing happened with SEO over the last decade. That's happening now with the app stores. You uh, you used to just be able to throw something up there, do a little trickery, um, and have you know gain some traction. What you're finding is that the more conventional, traditional methods of marketing, networking, building relationships with people, you know, real relationships. Um, doing joint ventures with other app developers, um, doing cross promotions and forming real business relationships. While it's hard and it's not that quick win and we we talked about shortcuts early on, it's not a shortcut. But in the end, what we're seeing is you've really got to be doing your own legwork on the marketing side and then you can get some traction uh, in the app store. But to have them notice you is such a one in a whatever chance that you really gotta be looking at other strategies as something that's kind of long-term, you know, viable, so. Yeah,
1: well, I can see that uh, we are drawing to a close here with the time and it's just been, um, I could go on and on because you've got so much information. Thanks for sharing a lot of that. You know, is there, how do we actually uh, reach out to you, Jesse, what's the best way of connecting with you? I'm going to put a lot yep. of the. I'm going to put a link to your website on the show notes. So the you need it at dot com, um, but do, w- w- how do we connect?
0: I mean, you can get you guys can catch me on Twitter. Uh, I'm at Jesse Meacham. J E S S E M E C H A M, and yeah, you just ping me on there, and uh, and we can chat. I'm happy to answer any questions or clarify stuff or. If I contradicted myself horribly, I'll fix that somehow. (laughs) But you know, I'll I'll try and do what I can. So I'm I'm happy to help out wherever I can.
1: Yeah, well, thank you, Jesse. It just um, leaves me to say that I um, thoroughly had a really good chat with you. I'm I'm so impressed with you. You know, the things that you've done um, from the humble beginnings of a small spreadsheet to what you've got going (laughs) on now. It just shows that you know, if you're listening to this as an app developer, that anything is possible. It's important to um, try to you know, look at your own problems and your own uh, life and your own surroundings. And it's amazing what, you know, good things can come out of bad as well. And so thanks for sharing that story with us, Jesse. Um, Would love to have you back on. And uh, in the meantime, um, just appreciate you for sharing so much stuff with us.
0: Absolutely. I appreciate you having me on. Thanks, Jesse. Thank you for listening to this podcast. Stay tuned for the next episode. If you want to be a guest on the show or suggest someone, then please send an email to info at one mob.com. The App Guy podcast goes out every Sunday and Thursdays.